the theme for the afternoon talk is the spirituality of walking. A little uh, earlier with uh, Meg, many of you went for uh, the walk. The walk lasting an hour, an hour and a quarter, single file, equidistant roughly between uh, each other. And we might think of it or describe it as a simple walk in the nature. Meg said to me that you didn't um, meet any traffic en route nor even any other human beings few cows wandering around and walking and the tradition has a long-standing love affair with walking it's somewhat inspired (coughs) by the old text by the tradition of India in which the homeless ones spent their lives voluntary homeless spent their lives engaged in wandering in walking from ashram to ashram place to place living a rather free and spacious life and some of the sadhus in this uh, wandering had made a single vow and or a single vow and essentially the single vow was not to own anything at all and having and become a genuine sannyasin means a genuine renunciate it was leading the life of the wanderer and the Buddha himself was very much inspired by this and as the well known story perhaps one of the world's best known stories of his uh, decision to leave the life of privilege pleasure and uh, affluence and all that accompanied it and went from home to homelessness and I've noticed over the years in some of the question and answer sessions in the Dharma Hall number of people who have expressed quite some concern about this shift that uh, Siddhartha Gautama made from home, palace to homelessness how could he do that? how could he leave his wife Yasodhara? how could he leave his weak old son Rahula 
and walk out on them. And of course this is going on every day of the week in our society. And some, often the men, can't even wait around for a week. Even before birth they've split. Sometimes there is in the inner life a genuine crisis a genuine existential struggle that's going on in which the form of the life the expectations on, on, on the life from others and from within oneself truly become meaningless one can't see the point and it's not unusual for a person of uh, any age to enter and pass through something of a crisis and that can happen at uh, any time, any period in our life so he was so the text says was 29 years of age so perhaps he was having a, a midlife crisis as he approached 30 some people do <coughs> but whatever the turmoil, the confusion and the doubt this is the mind of Siddhartha so I've often had to say it was not the mind of the Buddha there's a difference this is a person who's in conflict doubt, confusion he said he was in so much confusion so the old texts say that on the night that he fled he was unable to pull back the bedsheet to look at the face of his newborn we called son in case he changed his mind and of the many spurs that triggered this life of homelessness, spirituality and lots and lots of walking was well, not only the famous stories that accompanied it that for the first time in his life he really saw an old person he really saw a sick and dying person he really saw a dead person and then he thought to himself my God what's the point since if we live a long time then we're going to end up looking haggard and weathered we don't have to live a long time sometimes what's the point if, if sickness is going to become us at some point or other what's the point if we're going to die could there be a way out of this but the event which happened and is often forgotten is what was happening on that very night and in your text it says that he was at a party it wasn't a political party and this party was in the palace and most of us have been to parties at some point of time in our life and the people at the party were having a good time and got pretty smashed as people like to do when they go to some parties 
and in the middle of the night some of the party was still going on but others were lying around pretty drunk out of their brain cells and some were snoring and some were snogging and all this was going on in other words things haven't changed much over the last two and a half thousand years and no doubt all this goes on at Buckingham Palace and at Beckingham Palace anyway it's another story so he looked at all of this and he said is this what it's all about he asked himself parenting role as a prince and partying is that what it's all about and it struck him so strongly he split is there a way out of all of this? Is there another way of being? And then as the story goes, he then spent the next uh, six years wandering around various parts of northern uh, India, came to the world's most famous tree in Bodhigaya, sat under the tree, woke up, and then for the next 45 minutes, 45 minutes, <laughs> it could have been 45 minutes, he probably wished it was, 45 years, <laughs> giving teachings in northern India, encouraging people to walk the way. And the feature of that, not only metaphorical language, but actual language of walking the path, actually walking. So that in the teaching that emphasises strongly a very down-to-earth way of being and living in, in this world, walking becomes a feature of that. And sometimes with the walking that we engage in, we often walk out of a kind of self-interest. I am here, I've got two legs, and I walk to B, and my intention from walking from A to B is to reach somewhere, to get something, to secure something, in some way or other for myself. And these countless numbers of steps, I'm talking physically here, but not metaphorical, countless numbers of steps that we make uh, in our life and the very movement of, of that is a constant movement from A to B and we do this most days of our life I remember last year we had a walk in France it was from the foothills of the Pyrenees to Plum Village, which is the uh, centre of uh, Venerable Thich much loved uh, Dharma teacher yeah, in the West, originally from Vietnam. One of the people who was participating in the walk had spent 20 years in the SAS. Those of you who are familiar with uh, the militarism that goes on in this country, 
the SAS is regarded as a rather uh, elite army unit which engages in what some might call a number of dirty jobs on behalf of the British government. I might describe it, others will describe it in a different way from me and everyone to our own. And he spoke about, in his period of time in the SAS, of engaging not only in walking but sometimes in crawling and once five kilometres, three miles, through the jungle at night in order to assassinate somebody and then crawl back through the jungle for another five kilometres to where his unit picked him up and took him. One might say, in all of that, that whether crawling through the jungle and walking along the tracks to do this job in Southeast Asia, I remember rightly, one might say, since there were others looking for him, his level of mindfulness was probably a lot stronger than most people who went for a nice walk this afternoon for an hour and a quarter. His ears would have been wide open for every sound. He had been alert and vigilant as he crawled through the jungle. But the great difference between one probably extraordinary quality of mindfulness apart from all the creatures that are in the jungle and another is the intention the intention makes the difference so when we're engaged in walking and I may say with this particular person who was quite fascinating to listen to the emotional psychological consequences of all of this are and continue to be very very high quite often forgotten just as a sidestep here people engaged in war engaged in acts of militarism pay a very high price emotionally and psychologically having seen and witnessed and listened to that many times uh, over the years so there's the movement of walking there's the idea, the wish to go somewhere and the checking into ourselves looking into ourselves is to be as clear as possible about what the motive is so if we look at our inner life and its manifestation and, in its, and its expression that second link in the eightfold path, right intention, right attitude, right motivation, really becomes pivotal. What's the intention? And if you and I can bring enough awareness to intention, perhaps that awareness 
can, if necessary, strengthen the intention because one knows there is something noble and valuable about it. Perhaps one can look at that intention if one recognises there is something questionable there. And that really means a tremendous degree of self-knowledge and self-understanding. Because with the same activity, you and I easily can think we have one intention when we actually have another agenda which is not being acknowledged, not being recognised and not being looked at. So awareness of our movement, I'm talking about walking from A to B, the awareness of our movement, and much of it we know is quite neutral, nothing about it at all, of significance, but sometimes we engage in a process of walking and we do need to be as clear as possible about what the intention is behind it. What is the intention? We had a person on a retreat here. Who was working in um, IT, information technology. Young guy, manager, substantial income. He said to me that he would go, he would walk from one expensive men's fashion shop to another to buy clothes sometimes hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of clothes over a weekend. And sometimes, he said, he had such a need to go out shopping and buying clothes that he would buy clothes that were too small for him to show to himself that he could afford to buy them. To show, he told me, he and Guy has, he told that he, he bought clothes too small to show to himself that he could afford them. So sometimes there's these patterns, intentions, and tendencies which are going on inside. <laughs> one doesn't quite know how one gets oneself, how the state of mind gets itself into that position. But one of the external manifestations of it is what is driving us along as we go from A to B. What's the pattern? What's the push? What's the, the attitude, the force, which takes us from one place to the next? And that kind of willingness to stop and to step back and to check with ourselves may have an impact and an influence on the walking, on the whole manner of walking, the relationship to it, the uh, attitude towards it. In the years when I was a monk, 
We, in the monastery, there would be anything from 50 to 100 monks, nuns and novices. From time to time, and we never knew when, because Ajahn, the teacher, wasn't much into planning, we just decide we're going walking. So we'd be sitting, doing our sitting meditation in the monastery, our slow walking up and down there, just getting into our practice, going deeper, meditation's going very well. And then, come breakfast, which is the same as lunch, which is rice, and some extra. He would say, we're leaving this morning. We're going walking. Yatra, as they call Pilgrimage. Just walking. And so some of us, you do myself, oh, no! <laughs> Finally I can sit still. Meditation is just developing, just deepening. And never took any notice of that. Often he would go. And sometimes he would just pick out a few monks and a few nuns. The one would be sitting there, keep one's eyes closed, hoping that one was transparent. <laughs> and myself, being the only Westerner in the place, has stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> so I often got picked out for the walk. So we'd go walking, exactly the same as we did today, single file through, through the villages. And sometimes we'd be in the field, across the rice paddies, the edge of the rice paddies, and sometimes we'd be walking, and in the walking it would be on the, on the road. And, of course, being Thailand, sometimes the weather exceptionally hot. So the abbot, Ajahn Dhammadra, would be at the front. And we'd be, then the senior monks, senior monks, junior monks, novices there. And one of the features of the walking was that we all walked barefooted, which isn't so easy on hot tarmac. So the abbot would be walking and sometimes we'd just step off the tarmac and walk on the grass. And then we'd have the shaved head, so we'd get the robe and just drop it over the top of the head. And the moment he would turn round quickly, <laughs> robe off, back on the road. <laughs> it, used to be, it used to go on all day. Because <laughs> we were regarded as wimps if we had put cloth on our head and walked on the grass instead of on the tarmac, etc. And sometimes the teachings would go on all night. We'd arrive in, in the village, or on the edge of the village, the villagers would come out with a lantern. We slept under what's called a groit, it's a, 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 a bigger umbrella than usual. Hang it over the tree and then a mosquito net hanging down and you sleep in that. And teachings and practices going on through the night with the village. And then they would come and feed us there. And then they perhaps have a little nap for an hour or, or so and then he'd be off again. One learnt sleepwalking. And uh, etc. And there's a long tradition of this walking. And Part of the wonder and the, and the beauty and the delight uh, of this is how much the actual walking becomes the most significant experience. And so that, as that man said, he said, for the first time in my life, he said, I've done a lot of walks, I've done a lot of marches, I've done a lot of marches 
with other military personnel with, with the SAS he said it's the first time I've ever done a march a march in which it's only for the walking and there isn't any destination that's very important it's the walking that counts so one of the inner shifts of the life is to find and explore ways in which somehow the end and the means meet and there's some very profound and great truth of life to be reflected on here we're so used to looking at life engaged in walking actual and metaphorical walking the path to reach an end but each time you and I in life keep coming to an end coming to the result coming to the effect of what we've been doing i.e. the walking it then becomes the seed or the cause the spark to the next so it seems that our life is a movement it seems in time which I as a human being start off at point A arrive at point B whatever it is both physically, emotionally, mentally and and when I arrive at point B point B changes itself and then it becomes the start or it becomes point A and then I start again I start off somewhere point A and I come to Gaia House point B staying in Gaia House for a while point B then point B becomes point A and then I go on to somewhere else arrive somewhere else as most of you will tomorrow and I will tomorrow becomes point B and we get so used to this cause effect so used to going from A to B, B becoming A and then to B and the life moving on and this way of looking at life at uh, interpreting life becomes so familiar we actually believe that the real world that's reality that's the truth that's how it really is so how is it that A arrives that becomes B the arrival then B becomes the starting point for something else is that really how it is? or is that how we think it to be? is that how we believe it to be? In um, Easter time, Easter Passover week, in uh, early April, in Israel, after a 
some Dharma friends, myself and others, at some meetings together, a yatra, a walk was organised in Israel. And there are many demonstrations taking place, both in the Israeli community because of the conflict, and equally as many in the Palestinian community, many, many non-violent protests, non-violent demonstrations uh, taking place there against the military occupation. So a walk, a spiritual walk was organised. Some 300 people participated in it from Jaffa, Jewish Arab uh, town in Israel, up through to Jerusalem. I was only able to participate, because I was here at Guy House, on the last full day of the walk in Jerusalem. This walk went through various parts of Jerusalem, including those areas where uh, um, Palestinian members of uh, Hamas had come in, detonated others and themselves in part of this war of terror that we hear and read so much about. When we walked through these areas where sometimes just one or two weeks before people had been blown up and had blown themselves up, there was quite understandably quite some reaction that was taking place from some of the Israelis, both passers-by, business people, shopkeepers, etc. At our presence of walking in a single file, slowly, mindfully, each person wearing a white uh, sash across the body, and a number of people on the walk giving out hundreds of uh, leaflets, encouraging people to try to find another way to resolve this terrible nightmare other than just living in constant fear, constant dread, constant anger and terror. And as we walked through Jerusalem, long historically charged place, some of you will know have been there, some people were yelling abuse left, right and centre they were. In that uh, yelling, uh, the swear words that went uh, with it, and being referred to at both ends of the political spectrum. So some were yelling at us, you fascist, that, 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 that. Another were yelling at us, you communist, that, 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 that. If you get both sides, you know usually you're on the right track, I have to say. And another people coming up to us and expressing appreciation determination and the courage of the, of, of, the, of the walkers. There had been a refusal by all of us to have any military personnel or police who wanted to act as protectors to us, the last thing that we wanted or we needed. I'll just use as a small example here that sometimes with the walking and with walking in life, 
Sometimes the intentions have to be bigger than our self-interest. Go beyond of what's in it for us and to have a different sense of things. And I think the principles of that bring a certain kind of spirituality to walking. And other friends and in the network, the Dharma network, are engaged in various kinds of uh, uh, walking. And I think just the action of today, the slow meditative walking and the walking period, the group walking that uh, took place, these walkings which have a, a political uh, element to them, such as the walk in uh, Israel and elsewhere, hopefully may just touch a place inside of us, may bring out of us some kind of response that perhaps we have to take a real look at what we're doing with our life in terms of walking. Perhaps we have to reflect on it a little bit more. Perhaps we have to find time and opportunity in, in our life to start a, a very different relationship to walking and it would be a pity if all the walking is just about getting from A to B in order to get somewhere or get something I remember years ago walking following the coastal path um, through uh, Devon and uh, down and round into, into Cornwall. One of the things that sticks in my mind was passing through the town of Newquay, which is a very popular holiday town in Cornwall. Great beaches, the surfing community love to go down there and, and, and surf, and the usual Chinese restaurants and one-armed bandits, a very typical place. One kilometre along the coastal path before arriving in Newquay, you could hardly see a soul on the cliff top. You might pass an elderly couple taking their dog out for a walk and that would be more or less it. Then you descend on the coast path, walk through Newquay, and it's thick with the human species. On a sunny day, probably like today, on the beach, in the town, all congregated together. Then one walks a kilometre outside the town, nobody's up there. Fantastic views, lots of quiet, deserted beaches, and absence of the human species. So sometimes you know, people decide what they do, but sometimes it's you know, maybe we need to explore for ourselves a little bit more intentional solitude in life. A little bit more time out in the open spaces just to be out in the open spaces. A little bit further away from the crowd. 
And there's a long spiritual tradition of this. And it would be a pity if one thought one's meditation practices or spiritual practices were just coming to Gaia House, even though you're very, very welcome. But there's the spirituality of walking. And we need to make and generate and give real consideration to it. How much is that available in my life? How much time am I making for that? I just remember doing a personal retreat here uh, last year and just taking, just before breakfast, a walk down the track there. And then there's the nearby woods. So I was doing some standing meditation. Nice morning, just doing some standing meditation uh, there in the woods. And just while standing there, which I had not seen before, we've been at this guy house here since uh, April 96, a deer walked past, just a matter of metres in front of me. He knew something odd was around, called Christopher. His ears are perking up, looking. And I just kept completely still. And it was such a, a, a beautiful sight. Just the simplicity of it. And another situation in Totnes, making, um, referred to this a few months ago, I remember in here, uh, going for a walk late one night, 11 o'clock mid- midnight, <coughs> along the river track of the River Dart just a few minutes walk from my home and while making the walk along the path suddenly and unexpectedly a fox ran out of the bushes just behind me so he stopped I stopped and I looked at him he looked at me so I just began talking to the fox telling him essentially look I'm not with the country alliance (laughs) I'm on your side (laughs) it's not my fault that we've got the most indecisive prime minister in history (laughs) and so as I continued my walk the fox walked beside me not quite beside me, I wasn't quite that confident, but just maybe half a metre, a metre behind. So I kept on talking and walking, and he kept on listening and walking, and then we walked hundreds of yards along the river track together. And then he got bored <laughs> with everything I had to say, as people do in the Dharma Hall, and, and he went off more interesting evenings. So sometimes in our walking, in our silences, in our stillnesses, in our alonenesses, there are rather sweet and precious moments of existence which really can touch us. And it's obviously utterly harmless. 
it comes out of uh, interest and love and receptivity and they are those moments are, are, are precious, precious they are illuminating they touch our life they wake us up and sometimes as we know in just a momentary contact we can be feeling quite tired and um, and uh, and a bit low in the energy it can be late at night or whatever but it just takes one small situation one spark one contact and we feel the wonder of life the mystery of, of, of life and it would be a terrible pity for all of us if the flow of our life is rather fixed and stagnant stagnant and um, and centralised uh, and bounded and has borders round it and it's in a certain kind of routine because I think that naturally brings out of us a kind of protest a sense of limitation and, and, and perhaps with the deeper yearning towards sensing and feeling and knowing what freedom is all about then it's going to to take our willingness and some risk just to expand our sense of being to do things which are unusual to explore things which are a little bit different to break out of the habit of, of things and to change things and to keep that alive in us and therefore I say this is a reflection or a demonstration or an expression of spirituality of walking actual and metaphorical finally sometimes we keep looking to our mind for some kind of confirmation and in the deeper truths of, of life there is a sense and an acknowledgement of some of the limitations of our mind trying to understand, trying to get clearer, trying to get more insight and we keep turning to the mind to try to reveal something or tell us something one of the great wonders and mysteries of life from the standpoint of liberation, from the standpoint of non-duality is awareness and a recognition that we can no longer turn to the mind for any kind of guidance most people, everyday minders say oh wait a minute it's as though we've got to forget our mind as though there is no point in trying to make the mind and its activity a reference point for any real understanding so sometimes we're using the mind in our meditation we're using the mind with our activities we're using the mind for the past and for the future and for what we're doing and for describing and thinking who we are and for all the information and views that we have we say, okay, well, the mind, that's what the mind does. 
but in a way that's all it does and in a way that's all it knows so what would it be to have a kind of intuitive sense of things in which one doesn't have a mind for it what would it be to have no mind for anything no mind as a reference point and the saints and the sages and the wise of uh, past and uh, present haven't been shy of speaking of no mind meaning not having it as a reference point and if it's not the reference point Hallelujah may all beings live in peace may all beings live in harmony may all beings live with great freedom so let's have a quiet minute together thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.